If you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me, if you would, at the 20th verse of the 17th chapter of Luke. It's good to be here this morning. I, I enjoy Sundays. I don't know if you do or not, but it just seems like Sundays are all, Sunday meals are always better after church. Uh, and so there, I look, I'm looking forward to that this afternoon. But I wanted to talk to you this morning and kind of share with you a little bit more concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't think I have to uh, convince any of you that Jesus is going to come soon. Uh, we see that, how it's going to happen, uh, when is it going to happen. All of these things uh, have been debated for years. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting how much the Bible does talk about it. Jesus himself is speaking in this passage. Uh, you'll probably take this passage and read it later on today. Probably read it this week and read it a little more because there's so much in it. I may depart from it a little toward the end of it to go into the book of Ecclesiastes, but I, I thought it would be good for me to just in introduction kind of share with you a little bit more of what the Bible's teaching when it comes to prophecy. Biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope really in our time. I, I like to have uh, things before me that actually show me that Everything is in God's time. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ or his, his first coming, so the, the, the New Testament, and, and actually both Testaments, are filled with references to the second coming or the second advent of Jesus Christ. And one scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming just in the Old Testament. And where 17 books in the Old Testament give it prominence, prominence. and uh, in the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 18 or 318 references to the second coming of Christ. And amazing, out of one of every 30 ver- verses, out of, all, out of those 30 verses, uh, there is a mention of the Lord Jesus Christ, one out of 30. And so 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the great coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's advent, there are eight in which you look forward to the second coming. And I think it's important for us to to know that there are people that have a, a desire to maybe put a date on it and put a time and so on it. There has been in the past when Jesus will come in October, Jesus will come at this particular time, Uh, it'll be around the Passover time. Uh, I remember this last spring uh, when COVID first hit us, Um, it was right around Easter prior to that, and I got some phone calls even from some people that I knew that were saying, what do you think about uh, the Lord coming back around the Passover time? Uh, that the death angel would come like it was in, 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 in uh, Exodus chapter 12 and so on. And I said, you know, I just don't know, but we need to be ready in case the Lord Jesus Christ would come. After 14 years of studying the Bible, William Miller became convinced that Christ would return in 1843. When Miller uh, uh, announced April 3rd as the day, some of the disciples went to the mountaintops, hoping for maybe a head start to heaven. Uh, Others went to the graveyard planning to ascend in reunion with their loved ones. The Philadelphia Society of Ladies clustered together outside of the town to avoid entering God's kingdom 
among the herd that was actually leaving. Uh, And when April 4th dawned, as usual, the Millerites were disillusioned. They took to heart. Uh, Their leader had predicted a range of dates for Christ's return. They still had uh, until March 21st, he said then, of 1844. The devout uh, people continued to make ready, but again, they were disappointed. And finally, he came up with a third, October 22nd, uh, 1844 was set, but it also passed. And so interesting that there has been others that have actually said that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come on a certain day, on a certain hour perhaps, and it has not happened yet, by the way. thought I'd let you know that we're still in our pre-raptured state, and so we still have the flesh with us. We still have times of despair and discouragement. But understanding the setting of the passage where Jesus Christ is speaking here in Luke, it's important for us to understand that, that Luke was a great historian. Um, he was noted among them, and, and some say that Theophilus, in his introduction, was actually a, a great uh, commander and historian of that particular day, that uh, he actually starts out, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order uh, a declaration of those things which are surely believed among us. Um, and talking about the historians that came, came before, and some believe he's talking about Matthew and Mark because they were written prior to Luke. Uh, John was the last one to, to be written. We know that the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all kind of in, in, in tune with each other. But John is completely different, uh, written at a different time, written to the whole world. I love the Gospels, but Luke gives us that incredible introduction to kind of shine a little bit more on his desire for history and gives us that historical outlook. In fact, he goes greater than that. He talks about how that he, from the very first, had been given this so that we might be able to know the certainty of things. I have been given from above to put these things in order so that you could have this account so that you could believe for certain. And so that's in my mind when I'm going through the book of Luke and I'm reading the book of Luke, I see that there is actually not only divine divine inspiration involved, but a capable individual like Dr. Luke to be able to give us the account as it was. And so in understanding the setting of this passage, the whole Jewish society was anxious because they thought that there would be maybe an establishment of a Masonic, uh, messianic kingdom right there on earth during their time. They thought they were going to see this, and so they were excited. I'm sure that as they heard him say, this is how you pray, my Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so that was in their mindset also as they listened from a distance because the questioning is actually happening here concerning the kingdom of God and where is it and when is it going to come. The writer of the book Luke records in detail the historical accounts of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, of course, we emphasize that already, that he gives us that perfect Uh, comparable um, historical writing so that we have what we have today. Uh, And and, and in, in this setting, the Jewish people, though, thought that they were going to usher in the kingdom of God. I think we think that. I think this morning people are giving up and thinking, well, I'm just going to go home with my family because the second coming is so close. 
You know, it may be close, but guess what? It may not be. We don't know what God has as far as his agenda and in his place. And I think we go back to that particular time that the Lord Jesus Christ came in that first coming. How exciting it must have been to be able to know that this was the Messiah, that this was the Lord Jesus Christ. But in this setting, the Jewish people thought that they were going to usher in the kingdom of God. Luke also actually explains a little bit of this and records that this was the kind of the mindset among those that were talking to Jesus after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. Because the Bible says this, And when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Is it time for you to have your kingdom? Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ tells them that they shall receive power and that the gospel must go out and it must first start in Jerusalem and then Judea and in other parts of the world. And then they actually followed him and we, they saw him depart. In like manner, he'll come again. And they stood there along with a couple of angels looking up into the sky and saw him leave and he would come back to the same place, the same uh, area there, Mount Olive, and he'll come across the Kidron Valley, and he'll walk in the Eastern Gate, and he will rule from the throne of his father, David, during the Millennial Kingdom. That will take place. And he wanted to express that to his disciples. And I think that their mindset was, it's going to happen now. We want it to happen now. In fact, this was perhaps the mindset of most of the Jewish people at that time. Also, the Jews came at one time to take Jesus by force. We know this according to John chapter 6, verse number 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and take him as to be a king. He departed again into the mountain to, to, to be alone by himself and to go away from them. Of course, we understand that this particular mindset was among the people as they decided to grab him and then to place him as the king and to have him lead over the people. And so I, I was thinking about this passage, and I, I think if I read it to you rather slowly and then go back and make a few observations and then take you at the end and apply this to Ecclesiastes would be the best thing for me. And so follow along. If I seem to be some scattered-minded this morning, it's because your pastor is at times. But I'll try the best I can to convey what I believe God has given to me to help you understand the second coming of Jesus Christ and to be able to understand what the scriptures are actually teaching. Look what it says with me in verse number 20 of your Bibles. If you have it at home, pull out your Bible, um, sit and just listen to these verses, if you would, and it'll help understand. Maybe there's some questions that you have concerning the second coming of Christ, but I want you to look at the setting, if you would, with me. First of all, let's just paint the picture of the first uh, stage, if you would, of what is happening with the Lord Jesus Christ in verse number 20, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees. Now, let me just say this about the Pharisees. Aren't they demanding? <laughs> They're demanding here. They are the ones that they think are in authority. They think, I am better than you, so you need to answer my questions. Interesting as we think about it, because this little observation, just in one sentence, opens up the mindset of what was actually happening is being asked by the Pharisees. And why are they doing this? Could it be because of the verses prior to that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords? He can forgive sins on earth because he is Christ. He can actually walk up to some lepers and heal them because he is Christ. 
Yes, he can touch them and make them whole. And the Pharisees were saying, wait a minute, why can't we do that? And how come he's able to do that? Certainly we must demand from this one who can do things that we can't do. That's the way the Pharisees are. They're always thinking that they are better than those around them. Don't be a Pharisee. Be humble in your mind. It'll make your life really a lot better, and it'll make those around you a lot better. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when, circle that, when, when the kingdom of God should come, and he answered them and said, by the way, they're actually asking him, when is all of this going to take place? Now, really, in their minds, they were thinking that it was going to take place right now. If the disciples thought that way, the Pharisees thought that way, And you're going to enter into this political thing, too, because we're not only the religious leaders of the day, but we want to be involved with politics. We want to make sure the politics are in line with everything so that we can have our our, our people live. And you know what? Jesus kind of messes up politics sometimes because he is God. And the government really rests upon his shoulders, does it not? He is the one that will turn the tide if he chooses. And if he chooses not to, we must submit to him and yield to him. He is in charge of all. And this morning, there are actually people outside of the White House praying for him. There are people at the Walter Reed Hospital, outside of the hospital, praying for him. Praise the Lord for America. Praise the Lord for praying people. But they ought to pray for their president, no matter who he is. Interesting how we see this in this particular passage. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, not with an outward show, not with pomp and circumstance, because that's what they wanted to have, some kind of big, huge, political, religious scene. And Jesus was saying, No, wait a minute. It's not going to come with observation. And I think if you look at verse number 21, and neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, behold, the kingdom of God is, he's basically saying the kingdom of God is within you, it's really among you. Part of the kingdom of God and understanding that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was building his kingdom in a peaceful way. Because that's the way he works. He brings peace to your heart. And he can bring peace to your heart at any time. And by the way, when you come to the place of knowing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can be done at any time, any place. You can confess him. With your mouth, you already believe in your heart. And ask him to come into your life and save you. Maybe you're watching today from home and you've been going through some really troubling times. Jesus loves you. He went to the cross for you. He wants you to give him your burdens, even your sin burden, and he will take care of that for you. He'll take care of that for anyone. Because what happens to to those that are part of the kingdom of God is they have a transformation that happens within the heart. It's not some outward show. What we do at our church here is after the person has inwardly changed by the Spirit of God, then they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And then tonight we will be actually involved with the Lord's Supper. Those are the two ordinances in which we follow. But it's interesting because the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here. He's got their attention, and he says to them, you know, that the kingdom of God is within you. Look at verse 22, and he said unto the disciples, now he changes direction. 
He's talking to the Pharisees, right? They're the ones that ask the question. Did Jesus turn his back on the Pharisees? I don't know. But he turned to his disciples after he was asked a question by the Pharisees. And Jesus turns to the disciples. It seems like there's a shift, if you would, of focus. And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And so basically he comes out with this understanding that there is going to be a time where there will be great distress, when they're going to look for Jesus and he's not going to be there. He's confessing to them that he's not going to be with them all the time. He says that in other passages. But I really believe that we could take from this an understanding that there is going to be a day of distress when the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ happens. But he wants to say to them a little further in verse 23, and they shall say unto you, see here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. So he basically says that twice. Once to the Pharisees, you say, go here and go there. Or if you say it to his disciples, he's emphasizing that it's not in a specific place. It is not Mecca. It is not a specific place even in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ can meet here today. He can take your heart and change you and transform you today if he chooses to do that and if you yield to him. And Jesus is expressing this. And the words of Jesus are clear. And I'm so thankful that we have them in red. I'm thankful that we know what Jesus Christ said. And I'm thankful for the translators that they kept with as close to exactly what he said through the authorized version of the Bible. It says in verse number 24, For as the lightning that lights up of the one part of under the heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven. And you might have seen that before. When lightning comes and it just seems to shoot across the sky, so shall it be when the Son of Man be in, in, this, in that day, in his day, in his day, the day of Christ, the day of the second coming, the kingdom of heaven, and all of this, the kingdom of God. And that will come and usher in with lightning. There'll be a, it'll be an instant, uh, it'll, be, it'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Interesting as he's conveying this to them. But then he says this, however, first must be he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. So he's saying first, before all of that happens, before the distressful time comes, and before the sky lights up with lightning, before that happens, before I depart, and before I come and get you and you depart, I am going to have to go through some difficult things first. This was on his mind. You think that Jesus was concerned about going to the Garden of Gethsemane? He was. It was a crushing time. It was a difficult time. But he knew he needed to go. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Then he goes on with some examples. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and then they drank and they married wives and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It's interesting that he uses his verbiage the way he does. He talks about how that the destruction came after those that were actually the righteous, Noah and his children, were on the ark. Those that found grace in the eyes of the Lord were safe before the destruction came. That's what he's conveying. It's going to be like 
Noah, the world's going to be a mess. There'll be all kinds of terrible things happening during that particular time. It goes on to give another illustration. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat and they drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And all I'm doing is reading to you something that you have already read, but just kind of confirming the understanding that what Jesus was doing was giving his disciples an illustration of what it would look like before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll it'll actually be like the days of Noah, but it'll also be like the days of Lot where they were drinking constantly and they bought constantly and they sold constantly and they planted and they build it. It's just amazing to me to see this farmland being eaten up by homes all the time. I'm like shocked. All of a sudden, where did that building go? And all of a sudden, it's just flattened, and there's a whole neighborhood there. I look over a field where someone says, well, there's, there's time for me to actually put apartments up on that place and build and build and build and build. I'm thinking, where are all these people coming from? You know, taking up the farmland, and it's happening today. People are out drinking, people are out eating, and they're selling, and they're buying, and so on. But it says in verse number 25, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, let me just say this, that it happened in a very short period of time. Now, how long did Noah preach? A long time. And then the floods came, and how long did it rain? Forty days and forty nights. Am I not, am I correct? I think it's important for us to remember, though, that these stories of the Old Testament give us clues of what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying as far as the second coming is, is concerned. And that same day that, that it happened, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven. Did it rain fire and brimstone down from heaven? Absolutely. There is actually historians that have now found stuff underneath the Dead Sea at the southern part of it that could be ancient Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what I say? It probably is. Because it did happen. It didn't happen because they didn't show hospitality like some would warp the scriptures. It happened because of the perversion of the day. And even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When it talks about the Son of Man, it's interesting that he is going to be revealed. He is going to show himself in this particular time. Now, this is actually what the scriptures are saying. It's very important that we grasp this. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. But he says, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and, and, in, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. So what he's saying here is, be ready and be willing to depart. It's hard to, to imagine because we hang on to our stuff pretty, pretty strongly. We hang on to our families. We hang on to our homes. We hang, to, hang on to all of our things. But Jesus is telling his disciples, make sure you hold on to your things pretty loosely and not try to go back to get them. Pretty powerful. Because remember Lot's wife? Remember how she turned and then she became a pillar of salt that is actually there to this day? I think it's important for us to know that the second coming of Christ will take rather quickly. 
and we need to be willing to go at that time. No kicking and screaming. We don't have to do that. And Jesus was basically saying, if your heart is completely changed, you're not going to want to remain here. Pretty sobering thoughts. And whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And I tell you, in the night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. And two women shall be in grinding together, and one, of course, taken, and the other left. They're in the mill working away, and then one of them is gone. Two men shall be in the field, and one of them shall be taken, and the other left. I think it's important for us to understand that there'll be a great separation at this time. And, and to understand a little bit more of what takes place at the rapture, there are some that, that actually translate this text is that the wicked will be taken away and then the righteous will be left behind. And I'm not here to debate the scriptures this morning. I'm here to tell you that there'll be a great separation in the day of the Lord, in the second coming of Christ. And so as we think about the day of distress, just for a moment, I was thinking about how that uh, when the mind would cast a, 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 a regretful retrospect on the time of the Lord, he is basically our son, our son and our shield. And he was conveying this to his disciples, that it's going to be to the place at that time when, when, when you're going to want me to be there, but I'm not going to be there. And I think the disciples actually understood this a little differently than we understand it. Because they know that Jesus Christ was the comforter and really the bridegroom of their souls. Understood that he was their shepherd and their, their husband, basically, a friend, their prophet. He was the priest and he was the king. We're going to before us in the days of the Lord. The shadow of the dial of time cannot be put back. You can't put Jesus back onto the scene. He was basically saying to them, take this serious. And I think we need to take every day serious. The church must face perplexities and, 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 and follow its past through, path through all of them. And sometimes it hears voices crying here and there, and the voices are so delusive that even the elect are often bewildered. The commentary goes on to say that the master's word is onward to all during the difficult times and during the struggling times. And if you need sympathy this morning, go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try to get it from people because they will not comfort you. And in the struggle throughout the dim of our world, we must continue to trust in God during this distressful time. The Bible is very clear, and, and I think it's important for me to just to remind you that Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said rather clearly, this now also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. We know this. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, loose in their living is what that means. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, they're traitors, they're heady-minded, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and some having the form of godliness but depart from those. And Hex was writing to Timothy, and at Timothy's day and age, he had to take things really serious because they even thought that Jesus Christ was going to come at that time. 
There's perilous times were on the way, and we see that. And I think it's important for us to move a little further. The day really is calling for us to have patient faith during this time. There are incertitudes. It's a big word. I had to look it up. There are times of uncertainty. That's what it means. Times where things break under distress. There are excitements in our day. Times of enthusiasm and eagerness, both of these things happen in the day in which we live. And sometimes those things cause us to to suspend our moving forward, and sometimes we retreat, and sometimes we don't want to allow our faith to move forward because we think it's better if I just wait to a certain time, and then it's going to get better so that I can do what God wants me to do. Dear friend, don't think that way. Take it serious today. The freedoms and the liberties that we have today are such a blessing because we still have the freedom to leave here and to be able to get into our cars and do great things for God. We still have time to be able to be with our families. We still have time to excel in the workplace. We still have time to work hard and to impress so that we would be able to continue on to be great people. God's given us that time. We must remember that there are going to be things that will cause the church to be set back, if you would. There are complications in the church and in the world that produce a a feverness of attitude that seems to hurt people rather than help them. The Lord really desires for his disciples to know that I will calm things. Even though I do depart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And basically, where I'm going to go, I'm going to come and bring you to that place also and comfort them. Interesting that he illustrates in the passage about Sodom and Gomorrah. But I must tell you that we must remember that there are really to be no regrets, no glances back. You have actually set the course of the plow, and I'm telling you, keep it going. If you need to put more fuel in the engine, keep it going. If you need to maybe take your glasses off and wash them a little bit, then do that, but keep it going. It may be that you need a change of clothes and maybe a little bit of a time of rest, but get up again and keep plowing because the kingdom of heaven is not quite here yet, but it will be. And when Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky, you will be ready if you continue to do what God's called you to do. So a heart single and free from the Lord is the condition of the disciples here who shall escape all these things that shall come to pass. And who will stand before the Son of Man? I think really it's important for us to understand that what he's talking about here ultimately is a day of judgment. And in the fuller meaning of the word, making manifest and bringing to light the hidden things that are going to happen and the things that have already happened that are hidden and all be revealed at that time, That's the judgment of God, and those are things that we look forward to, and Christ is presented, and then the judgment seat is revealed, and then the books are opened. Those are things that we look forward to when it comes to the judgment day of Christ. And this is what Jesus was saying to his men, those that were following him. What a day that will be, when my Jesus I shall see. 
What a day it will be for us to be able to move forward in all of this. But I think we have to move to apply all of this. And I think we need to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you could, with me just for a moment. And I want to read some verses to you out of chapter 11. Because you may be sitting here today thinking you've got plenty of time. You may, but you may not. You don't know what harbors within your body. You don't know if coronavirus could come to your home and come to your lungs and remove you from this earth. You don't know that. God could allow that to happen. And so, is my day long on this earth, or is it short? I think James 4, verses 13 and 14 are interesting, but if you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, I'll be there in just a moment. We'll look at verse number 7. But James chapter 4 says this, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there for a year, and then we'll buy and sell and get gain. And whereas you know not what shall be in the morrow, for it is your life. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. I think when Jesus said this, by the way, he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not of the abundance of things which he possesses. And so we understand that both longevity on this life uh, and desires of this life, they're good, but we have to remember that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. What about all our possessions? Are we supposed to get all kinds of things and harbor things? I, I don't think so. We want the necessities of this life, and God even gives us the pleasures. And, and by the way, in his presence um, is the greatest of joy. But in this particular passage, it gives us a little bit more understanding of how to apply this. Look at verse number 7, if you would, of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Look at verse number 7. It says, Truly the light is sweet and, and a pleasant thing. It is for the eyes to behold the sun. Now let me just stop there. That word pleasant means precious. Okay, And so what the Bible's basically saying, that every day that you get up and you see the light, it is precious. So when you, when you know that, that, that God has allowed you to live another day, it is important for us to remember that it's because of his wonderful grace that we have another day to live on this earth. We have another day to get up and thank him for all that we have. We have another day that we can rejoice in him. He's given us employment so that we can continue to put bread and butter on the table. We can continue to go to Costco or wherever you go, Aldi's or whatever. You, you have a chance and opportunity to go to those places because God's been good to you. And every single day you get up and the sun shines, it's precious, really, and it should be. And this is what Solomon is desiring for us to understand, that life is short but every day is a gift. I think it's important for us to understand this. Look what it says in verse number eight. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember that the days of darkness, for they shall be many, and all that comes is vanity. And by the way, the vanity really is an excessive amount of pride because we're talking about really trying to make a show externally rather than letting God change us internally. There's people that actually would want to be admired by other people. Well, that's a wonderful thing for people to respect and look up to you, but that shouldn't be your goal in life. Your goal in life should be to glorify God and to see to it that God allows you to give the gospel to somebody every single day so that they too can enjoy heaven someday. Think about how that some people are so concerned about how their appearances are and 
How do I look in front of others? And how, how, what are the achievements that they make? And their life is crushed when this isn't happening. What are they going to do? All is vanity, dear friend. And then it says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways. What am I supposed to do as I get closer to the judgment day? I need to continue to do what God desires for me. And remember, too, that he constantly will give to you and help you to walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know, know this. Look what it says. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. I can't help but think of that. Now, you know, I'd rather be just talking about the wonderful fall colors and how they tell, they tell us that heaven's coming. And I would like to be able to tell you how good God is and just continue on this morning. But I must speak to you about Judgment Day because it is actually going to happen soon for many of us. And are we ready? Are we ready to see him? I think there's several things to think about. The first one is that given to you already is that every day is a gift. And so when God gives you the sunshine tomorrow morning, you got to jump on a bed and say, thank you, God, because I get another day to serve you. You've been good to me. And he has been good to you because you live in the greatest country in the world. You're an American. Your military is strong. And by the way, we should not be prideful. We should be humbled by our military. We should look at pictures of those that have given their lives and say, thank you, Lord, that these men gave their lives so that I could go on with the freedoms that I have today. We ought not to allow them to teach that America is a horrible place. America is a wonderful place. And it's a God-blessed land. And for many, many years, God continued to open the door in missions with what America has done for missions. It's incredible. God has used us. But he wants to continue. Every day is a gift. The second thing I want you to think is applying it to your own life. Number two is to everyone is accountable. I like it when there's accountability. There should be. I'm accountable. You're accountable. Ultimately, on this earth, yes. I remember when I worked at the postal service that they brought me in and they sat down with me and talked to me. Say, you know, you said this place has got a. Got a little bit of a, 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 a morale problem, did you, Dean? I said, no. I said it has a moral problem, and it does. There's magazines in the, in the locker room that shouldn't be there. I was talking to the person who, who was ahead of my, my boss. I became, by the way, I came second to her before I left. I resigned and went up to another postal service up in, up in uh, northern Wisconsin, up by Horicon, Mayville area. But I remember dealing with all of these things, and when they brought me in to talk to me about being accountable I, I actually like that. We do this with our children, don't we? Did you clean your room? Yeah. Huh? Do I need to look under the bed? Yeah. So it's the same with the Lord. The last thing before we go this morning, I think about how that we need to remember that every good gift comes from above, that God gives us the enjoyments. Under your God-given priorities, if you do a good job, God will continue to bless you with them. I was thinking about his disciples in this passage and how they came to him and they said, when is it going to happen? You know, and they weren't concerned about it as much as the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were saying, when? When are you going to usher us in? It? You're taking your time here. You know, you're under us as far as our authority. You should bring him with kingdom in if you're going to bring it in. He said, it's not with observation. It's within you and it's among you. And by the way, 
His kingdom is increasing every single day as people trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The unseen kingdom of God, which will soon be revealed. And then everything will be opened up and all the books will be opened. And are you ready, dear friend? Am I ready for that day? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you said yes to him? Have you heard that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? You cannot reach the righteousness of God, no matter how good you are. And Jesus, I suppose, wanted to turn to those Pharisees and say, you can keep all of those laws that you have and still go to hell without trusting me as the Messiah. Let me just bust your bubble a little bit this morning. Your righteousness is like filthy rags to the God of heaven. So the declaration of God and really the righteousness of God needs to be declared to us. And he does that by declaring us righteous. You say, well, I am righteous because of Jesus. No, you're not. You've been declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been imputed unto you. You don't have your own righteousness. You're a filthy vessel, and so am I, without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you will have more head problems if you think that you're better than people. You'll have difficulties your whole life until you come to that lowly spot and say, Lord, I know I'm not good enough. I need you to come. The second coming is at stake, dear friend. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has the righteousness of God been imputed unto you? By the way, it's pretty simple that even a seven-year-old little boy can do it. Understanding that Jesus Christ died for my sins. It was given to me a little small colored book. And the first page was very clear. It was black. And it said that my heart was full of sin. And I understood that. I knew who I was, and I know I've sinned against my parents. But the next page was red because it said that the blood of Jesus would actually wash that black page away. That Jesus Christ and his blood was sufficient, a staining element to remove the stain of sin upon my heart. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. And oh, how they loved to beat him. And you know what? There are those like that in the world today that they still, if Jesus was here, they would beat him and put him on the cross. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's high and lifted up today. He's given us victory just like he has victory. Out of the grave he came and will come out of the grave also to be resurrected with him someday. And we already have been in our hearts. But it's important for us to understand how does this work? The Lord Jesus Christ says very, very clearly that if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. He will receive you. The Bible says that all that have received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you sinned, everybody sinned. Did you know what? Joe Biden has sinned. Did you know that Donald Trump has sinned? Yeah. Everybody has sinned. There's no redeemer. By the way, let me just say this before I go today. The Antichrist is not just against Christ. He is also instead of Christ. If you put your faith and your trust in a man on this earth, you have failed. You have failed to understand. 
Because the Antichrist could be somebody that will actually step in instead of Christ. So we need to be careful, not placing our trust in one individual, but putting our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot pastor this church. I cannot. I don't have the ability, believe me. Only by the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that God will place somebody here to help you and to comfort you and encourage you in times of need. I'll be here for you. But I can't do without his help. And you can't live life without him. We must turn to Christ. He's the answer. Amen? Some of that energy that we have should be promoted toward the gospel if you see one per- person permanently changed because of the gospel, it's better than having a huge crowd in some coliseum someplace. One person coming to Christ is far better. Amen? Amen. I hope you get what I'm saying. And don't take it out of context. And realize that all of us need Jesus Christ. He could come today. He could come tonight. But he could come 50 years from now. Are you ready? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I've understood who Jesus Christ is. And I understand that he came the first time, and I believe he did. And I believe also that he's coming the second time. And lately I've been thinking about that, and I don't have it settled in my heart today. I, I don't know for sure that I would go. If the lightning would flash and the twinkling of an eye, people would be departed from this place. I don't know if I'd be one of them. And maybe today you just simply say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I'm not sure that I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. No one's looking around this morning. Dear friend, God loves you. He's been working on your heart for years and years. And maybe today would be the day that you'd say yes to Jesus. I need to receive him. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to know for sure. Would you just lift your hand? I'll pray for you. I won't point you out this morning, but I'll pray for you later in silence. Anybody like that this morning? Please pray for me. I'm not sure. Then I believe that every person in this room has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you have. Maybe you are a Christian, but you're not really ready. There's some things in your life that still aren't in order. There's some things that you'd like to do, of course, but there's some things that you need to do to get ready to go to heaven. And maybe there's some things in your life that need to be removed. And you know it. God knows it. You don't have to lift up your hand, but if you're here today, listen to me. It's not worth it. Give it up. Put your hand on the plow and don't look back. Give it all to Jesus. Maybe this morning you'd like to do that. We have an altar for you to come if you need to come this morning. Maybe it's for church membership or for baptism or maybe you need to learn a little bit more of how you can go to heaven. Why don't you come this morning? The altar is open for you to come. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand with me? I'm already standing. Why don't you stand on your feet? Bow your heads and close your eyes and just be praying if you and meditate upon your own heart for just a few minutes. I'm going to have an invitation, and why don't you come today if you need to? 
I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, the piano is going to play, and the invitation will begin. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. stanza maybe right there in your pew you'd say yes lord yes have your way